John chapter 10, our text this morning will be verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> we come to another amazing chapter in the Gospel of John, one that is very familiar to us, no doubt, as it is the chapter in which Jesus declares himself to be the Good Shepherd. So many things come to our minds when we think of Christ as the Good Shepherd, as the Chief Shepherd. So many references in the Old Testament, which we'll look at in, in a moment, about our Lord being the shepherd of his people. And we need to understand as we're working uh, in, into uh, this chapter that this is continuing from chapter 9. That when Jesus had finished his discourse with uh, the religious leaders, there in the verse 41, as he had says to them, uh, if you were blind... You would have no sin, but since you say we cease, your sin remains. And then the next chapter begins with truly, truly. Any discourse of Jesus doesn't just begin with amen, amen. It is a continuation of what we have previously been going over. And so what Jesus says here is directly directed to not only the, the, the people as a whole, but to the religious leaders. It is indeed an indictment against them because they are to be the shepherds of the people of Israel. They were to be the under shepherds. Uh, shepherding the flock of the Lord. This they had failed to do. And we see that uh, back in chapter 9. As you had the man who was born blind. Jesus had healed him. And then there's this examination done by the religious leaders. Ultimately they're trying to discredit his account. Discredit the miracle. Thereby discrediting Christ. And the last thing that they do to this man is they excommunicate him. So they are not at all shepherding the flock of the Lord as they should. You know, within this chapter, and especially all through the Gospel of John, his primary focus is the identity of Christ. And though we learn of some other things, of course, throughout this Gospel, we learn of a little bit concerning the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is not of this world. We learn of the working of the Spirit of God and the different things uh, such as that during the discourses of Jesus. John's main focus here is to identify Jesus to be the promised Messiah, to be the Son of God, God in the flesh. And as we're moving into this chapter, that's exactly what John is doing once again. Even though it is indeed an indictment to the religious leaders of, of the day, it is indeed a comfort for the people of God. It is expanding our view of our Lord Jesus. You have two I am statements that will be within this chapter. As Jesus will say that I am the door and I am the good shepherd. But with every instance in which Jesus identifies himself or which John is recording these sayings of Jesus to identify himself, he's expanding our understanding, expanding our view of Christ, expanding the working of Christ and, and the, the things that he does for his people. We have Jesus in this passage presenting his identity, his character, his nature to the people. These are well-known ideas in which he is using to do so. He is going to reference himself to be the divine shepherd of Israel. It's going to magnify his deity once again throughout these verses. We're going to see, of course, that as he is describing himself as the good shepherd, that we're going to see his love and his care, his provision, his protection, the full life of all spiritual needs for his people. You see the, the heart of God toward his people uh, being, being played out within this discourse of our Lord. 
And again, this imagery that Jesus is using is very familiar. It is in the Old Testament. We read a number of times of our Lord being the shepherd of his people. And again, that's significant because Jesus is referencing himself as the great shepherd. Just a few passages of scripture, and you're welcome to look these up with me or you can jot them down. In Psalm 78... In Psalm 78, verse 52, we read, But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. In chapter 80, beginning of verse 1, Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. In Psalm 95, Verse 7, the psalmist says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. In Psalm 100, we read this once again of, of the Lord being the shepherd of his people. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So many Old Testament references, and there are many more by all means. Probably the one that is most known to us, of course, is Psalm 23. In which we read... These beautiful words. The Lord is my shepherd. And notice that that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the divine name of God, the sacred name of God, Yahweh, that's being uh, understood here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another wonderful psalm describing our Lord as the shepherd of his people. This is indeed what our Lord is bringing to the minds of the people themselves. That God is their shepherd and he's identifying himself to be that shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And this passage here is indeed one that should greatly comfort us by reminding us of his care and his provision and everything that he provides for his people. You understand something that when Jesus says, and he'll say in our text today, that he came, he came to give us a life more abundantly. We're not talking about having riches and popularity and all the things of, of like the, the prosperity gospel advocates. But we are talking about having a full life in Christ of which we can now experience. Not, not having to do with that, but having all of our needs being met within Christ Jesus. All of our hope, all of our peace, all of our joy, all of our happiness, everything being found in God, and we lack nothing. That's what the psalmist is meaning. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't want for anything because I have everything in Christ. And, and that, is, that should be a great comfort to us. That what, what all that our great shepherd does, he is seeking our good. And he's not abandoning, abandoning us to thieves and to robbers or other dangers. He gives us abundant life as his sheep. This is such a, a wonderful, amazing chapter. Let's, let's just jump in here. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word of the living God. And let us hear the words of the living God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the sheep or into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Gracious God. Father, we honor you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that it teaches us concerning the magnificence, the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, who is the great shepherd, chief shepherd. Oh, Father, comfort our hearts with, with this passage. Adhere this passage to our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God and teach us. Guide us through it. Guide our thoughts that we may learn even more so of who you are. Oh, Father, how we need the Spirit of God every moment to teach us. He is the truth giver. And Father, we pray that indeed he would speak to our hearts through your word and that you would be magnified in our hearts. Bless the preaching of your word and may it accomplish all you desire in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So again, this is the same day that Jesus has been speaking to the blind man. After the blind man was excommunicated, Jesus went and sought him out and found him. And he received worship from this man. And then... This is, and as we talked about, this was in a public area. It wasn't as if Jesus had just found this man somewhere privately and was speaking to him. It was somewhere out in the open because as Jesus says the things that he does, there are Pharisees that are standing there that hear him. We remember that Jesus said after the blind man had, had confessed, Lord, I believe, and had worshipped him. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. 
and that those who see may become blind. So those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? So Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And then he begins. So he is speaking before the people of, before the people of Israel. And he's, he's speaking publicly. However many people are there, whether they are people who still don't believe in him, whether they're people there who do believe in him. We know that the Pharisees are standing there, the religious leaders. And the things that he's going to say to the people are going to be an indictment against them. Now you understand this, that any, sh any shepherd, any under-shepherd rather, who is, who is tasked with, with caring for the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ is to disclose truth, to teach truth, to guide in the truth. They are to lead the people not to honor themselves, but to lead the people to, to view the majesty of Christ, to view Him in all of His glory, to see Him as the only source of, of their joy and their peace to see Him as their Lord and the Savior that He is. Not to bring attention to yourself. None of that. But that's exactly what the religious leaders were doing. And so Jesus is going to expose all of that. He's going to contrast Himself as the shepherd with those who are the false shepherds. Those who have no interest in caring for the flock. Those who are only out for themselves. Now, he's going to use imagery here, again, that is very familiar to everyone. And as many theologians uh, are in agreement that this first five verses that he's speaking of here, talking about this sheepfold, is a community sheepfold. Now, the imagery that he uses, he, he speaks of being the shepherd and then, then the gate and the sheep and all of that is going to change a little bit once you get into verses seven and following. This isn't one long, continuous uh, figure of speech that, that is connected directly together in one sense it is, but some of the things are going to change when you get into verse 7. As the theologians believe that this is speaking of the community sheepfold in the first five verses, they're then going to speak of the sheepfold out in the wilderness, that sheepfold that only belongs to the chief shepherd. And he not only identifies himself there as the shepherd, but he identifies himself then as the gate or the door. So some of those things are going to expand in what Jesus is saying. I'm going to change a little bit, but it's all coming forth to, to give us the same understanding. So Jesus begins this, speaking to the people, speaking before the religious leaders. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, the community sheepfold, the one that would be in the village or in the town, would have a number of, of shepherds that would come there, a number of, of flocks of sheep that would be entering into that. And Jesus would say here that... The one who tries to climb over another way. The, the walls were very high. Some estimate sometimes uh, some 10 feet, some 12 feet, some, some kind of a briars around it to keep anybody from coming in. But there were times in which robbers did try to come in. Thieves did try to come in to take hold of the sheep or to, to hurt the sheep, to, to kill them. Various things that they would uh, try to do. 
The one who was to stand there as the guard was the doorkeeper. He was hired for this very purpose. And so Jesus is saying in this, in this one instance here, verses 1 through 5, that he being the shepherd of the sheep is standing outside of the sheepfold and he is calling his sheep to, to himself. Anyone else who tries to gain authority over the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ is a thief. The, the thief robs by deception. A robber, he steals by violence. They're trying to, to take hold of, of the honor that only belongs to the shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now, as the, the sheep would know their shepherd, not only by his voice, but by his presence at the gate. That's what Jesus is alluding to. The one who enters by the, the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is demonstrating or he's, he's speaking before the people teaching that he has the only authority. He is the only authorized one who can call the sheep out of the sheepfold, who can call God's sheep to himself as they are his. He has all authority and all power over them. He is the one who cares for them. He is the one who provides for them. The sheep are his. And he is calling them in this analogy. He's calling them out of the community sheepfold. So looking at that, again, what are we talking about? But that our Lord Jesus Christ is standing at the gate of the sheepfold and he's calling the people of God out of the lifeless religion of Israel. That's the imagery. That's what the imagery is pointing to, rather. He is calling them out of the lifeless religion of Israel. The ones who have tried to enter in some other way, the ones who are the thieves and the robbers, these are speaking in direct, directly against the religious leaders. It is the false shepherds that we have been reading of so far that care nothing for the sheep, they care nothing for trying to promote uh, godliness, true godliness and righteousness and understanding of the scripture. The blind man has been ex, uh, excommunicated. They're not leading Israel toward Christ. They're trying to gain authority of God's sheep by intimidation, by using other means that they may have honor among the people. But he says, our Lord says, to the one who is authorized is the idea. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The true sheep of our Lord Jesus hears the voice of their shepherd. And that's, that's really speaking of what we understand to be the effectual calling of God. As you have the lifeless religion of Israel that is being presented there who, who are being intimidated by the thieves and the robbers that are trying to gain access to them. The shepherd stands out and he calls them out of that lifeless religion by the effectual calling of God. What is the effectual calling of God? It's, it, we've talked about that. It's distinguished from the general calling of God that comes through the preaching of the word of God. The effectual calling is the calling directly to the heart that achieves its desired purpose. When God calls to the heart, when he calls you to repentance, you answer. 
Because at the same moment that you receive the effectual calling of God, it's at the same moment in which the Spirit of God is regenerating the heart of the sinner, enabling them to come. This is, this effectual calling is what gives life to those who are dead in their sin. Jesus had previously told us of that. Back in John chapter 5. When he speaks of the resurrection. He says in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, he's speaking of a time. He says an hour is coming and now is. Which is distinguished from what he says later on in verse 28, which is the actual physical resurrection. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. He doesn't say and now is, but an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear the, his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So you have two resurrections that are being referenced here. One that is coming and now is and the one that is coming. He says the one that is coming and now is, is the time in which the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That harkens back to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin, you were by nature children of wrath even as the rest, but God being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. That is the effectual calling of God, the effectual working of the Holy Spirit of God who brings dead people back to life. Those who are spiritually dead. They receive the calling of the great shepherd through the instrument of the Holy Spirit of God who changes them. Takes out their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh enabling them to come. And they hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear live and those who hear come forth out of the lifeless religion that they were part of. This is indeed... The effectual calling of God. A calling that achieves its desired effect. That's why that language is used so often throughout the New Testament. The called of God. But to the called of God. All of that. And that's what we're reading here. That the, the great shepherd stands outside of the community sheepfold. And he calls to his own sheep. None, none other... Then his sheep come. Those that are his. They come forth because they recognize the voice of their shepherd. He knows them intimately. He calls them by their, their own name. And he leads them out. It brings to mind how the apostle Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8. For those whom he foreknew. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That word foreknew doesn't mean foresight. It doesn't mean that he, he looked down the corridor of time. And he seen that some was going to believe in him. This means those whom he loved intimately beforehand. Those that he had chosen before the foundation of the world. These that he had granted to his son. That, that, that he, the, the object of his love. These are the, the ones that are his sheep that he calls forth at his appointed time. 
He calls them out. He knows them by name. He knows them intimately. And he leads them out. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. A life more abundantly than the lifeless religion that we once indulged in. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. One writer says this, not only do the sheep recognize their true shepherds by their access through the main gate, but also by knowing the sound of their voices. The Middle Eastern shepherd has a personal devotion to his sheep. He talks to them and sings to them. Often shepherds will carry a short flute and use a repeated, repeated tune so that the flock has a consistent auditory cue to follow. And that is very true of the intimacy that exists between shepherds and their sheep. Often shepherds do give names to their sheep and can recognize their sheep uh, just by looking at them, perhaps different marks that are on them or whatever. But the sheep know the sound of their shepherd. And they know it so well that a stranger they simply will not follow. But they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ, those that have been given to him by the Father, those that have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God who have received the effectual calling of God that are His will never follow a stranger. Never will they be deceived so as to be lost. Never will they be abandoned. Never will they be stolen. They, are, they belong to the Son of God. They belong to the flock of the chief, chief shepherd. And that is so vital to understand because as we're looking at, at not only this but what he says also later on in, in chapter 10 that none of the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ will ever be lost meaning that you can never do enough to be lost again and no one can ever snatch you from the Father's hand you can't forfeit your own self because that's a view today we know that Many would view that you can lose your salvation either by sinning too much, committing certain sins, or you can just forfeit your own salvation. Which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? I mean, if you think about salvation and you think of all the blessings of salvation that come to a believer, you receive the effectual calling of God, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, you're granted faith to Cast upon Christ your, your faith and to repent. You're justified by that faith. You're adopted into the family of God. You're sanctified definitively. The chains of sin have been broken and now you're progressively becoming more like Christ. You're united with Christ. You persevere because you're preserved in the hand of God. And ultimately he promises you're going to be glorified. Now if you can lose your salvation, think of all the things that has to take place now. The promise of you being glorified. Oh, I said that, but you, you already did this, so... That's out the window. You can't, you can't have that no more. Now I'm going to sever this union that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to re-bondage you under sin. So that sin once again has dominion over you. I'm going to unadopt you. I'm going to then declare that you're guilty once again after I first declared that you were innocent. 
I'm going to pull back the, the, the faith that I granted to you that you could believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to take the Holy Spirit of God from you and you're going to be dead in your sin again. That's nonsense. The children of our Lord, those that are genuinely within the flock of our Lord Jesus, will never be lost. Because they will never follow any other stranger, any other voice they do not know, and they flee from it. Sometimes we wonder, you know, looking at that truth, how is it that some can be deceived to follow certain teachers? How is that possible? Well, interestingly, as many would say, even the slightest bit, bit of truth of the gospel that is presented, the Lord can use in order to bring a sinner to faith. Now, throughout their growth, will they come to recognize that? Come to recognize that the things that are being taught and the things that are being said do not line up with Scripture? I believe so. If you go online, there are numerous people that came out of churches like Bethel and Elevation Church and so many others that, that seen the error of what was going on and the false teaching of what was going on and came out of those movements. Our Lord Jesus gives that promise. He leads his sheep. They know his voice and a stranger they simply will not follow, but they'll flee from him. Because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, this is such an encouragement and it's such a comfort to know that. Never will you be lost or you be abandoned. Never will you be stolen by the enemy. You belong to the chief shepherd. And if you don't belong to the chief shepherd, then all you have is lifeless religion. That's all you have. You don't have anything. Unless you have Christ as your shepherd. Hearing the voice of the Son of God and following Him. It is interesting too to note that this isn't like in the Western countries where which they drive their sheep. He leads them. This is the way that it's done in Israel and other places there. They lead the sheep. The shepherd goes ahead and the sheep follow. So this figure of speech, this cryptic language, this cryptic saying... Uh, this word can also be used to, to say that it's a, a proverb of, of sorts. Others would say perhaps this allegory, that would be the proper term there. Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Now he speaks this before the people. He's speaking it before the religious leaders. He's speaking it before the others that are present. They don't understand what he's saying. And so now he's going to elaborate further. Now he's going to identify uh, himself not only to be the shepherd, but the door. He's pointing back to himself and establishing that the only way into the sheepfold is through him. The only way to have everlasting life as we understand is him. It really brings back to our remembrance what later he will say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. When he says he is the door. We had the community sheepfold in which the Lord calls them out. And now we have the sheepfold of our Lord that is out in the wilderness. Who are being cared for. Who are being tended to. By the chief shepherd. 
They don't understand what it's been saying. So he says to them again, truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, some translate this door, some translate this gate. Out in the wilderness, sometimes the stone walls would only be about four feet high and they would put briars on top of it. Sometimes it would be backed up against uh, a mountain or, or something like that. Other times it might be at the edge of a canyon. But the, the walls would be built, the sheep would be put in in order to protect them. And there would be one entrance. One entrance in which many times the shepherd himself would be uh, the guard at the door. Other times he might take briars or something like that and put before the door. But Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the gate of the sheep. The only way into the sheepfold now, beforehand he was calling them out of the community sheepfold. Now he's saying in order to enter into the fold, you have to come through me. I am the gate. I am the door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, when he says that, all who came before me, sometimes we'll, we'll think back and maybe he's referring to the false prophets that came within the Old Testament. Those that were, that were leading the people astray. Perhaps the false messiahs that had risen up that were leading the people astray. But if we just look at that in the context of what he's, he's been saying coming out of chapter 9, that he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. He doesn't say they were thieves and robbers, meaning that they were somehow in the past. He's using present tense here. All who came before me, these religious leaders that have been teaching and preaching before me, they are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Regardless of the fact of, of how they had, had led many others astray, the true sheep of our Lord Jesus do not even listen to them, didn't, were not deceived by them. And a great example of that is the blind man that we just got done reading about. The blind man was healed by our Lord Jesus, physically regained sight. Spiritually, he regained sight too. And you see that progression of his faith throughout that whole ordeal of being um, examined before the Pharisees. He starts out by saying, the man, Jesus, healed me. Then he's a prophet. He confessed him as a prophet. Then he says that he's righteous, that he's sent from God. And then he finally confesses him as Lord. And he falls down at his feet and worships him. Even though he was receiving this grueling examination by the Pharisees, that he was being slandered by them, intimidated by them, just as his parents were intimidated by them. Still, he would not hearken to their voice. He had heard the voice of the chief shepherd. And that was the only voice he would be following. The sheep didn't hear their voice. Just as the sheep now only hear the voice of the, the Son of God. The religious leaders again had, had turned the, the religion of, of, of the Jews, the old covenant religion, had turned it up on its head, had only sought after their own glory and their own honor, not to lead the people to honor the Lord their God. 
They had turned the temple area into a den of thieves, as Jesus would say of them. They weren't entering into the kingdom and they weren't permitting others to enter into the kingdom as Jesus would indict them in Matthew 23. They were blind guides leading the blind. They were blind fools, as Jesus said. But the sheep don't hear them. Again, this is such an encouragement and a comfort to all the people of God. It's such a comfort to you. It should be an encouragement to you. As you go out to share the gospel and to declare the, the gospel of our Lord. Well, these people are listening to this or this, these people are adhering to this over here. This, this view that is contrary to the word of God. What they need to hear is the gospel of our Lord to say that the only way into the sheepfold of our Lord is through Christ. They need to hear the gospel because when they hear the gospel through the Holy Spirit of God working in the heart, then they hear the voice of the Son of God and they come out. Others are thieves and robbers. They're trying to gain access over the sheep. They're trying to gain their own honor. They don't care for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the one through whom you must come. There is no other way into the fold of God. There is no other path into the fold of God. There is only one. And as Jesus declares about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what he's reiterating here. And again, using this imagery and then saying once again, I am the door, a go, a me. Taking us back to those passages in Isaiah and the Greek Septuagint in which our Lord declared using that same language, a go, a me, to declare that I am. Which takes us back even further to Exodus. And the Lord says, I am that I am. Jesus is once again using that language to establish his identity, to establish his divinity. I, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That kind of language is... It's very reminiscent of the blessings of, of the covenant that was, that was ratified in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Of the blessings that come to the people of God as they come into the fold of God. They will go in and out and find pasture. Everything that they need, all their needs will be met in him by the chief shepherd. There's no need to go anywhere else. There's no need to, to try other things. You can find all your hope and all your peace and everything within Christ Jesus. We have a number of churches, of course, that we know of that want to give you self-help teachings. We don't need, we don't need help there. Our, our problem is pride. We don't need to be told how great and wonderful we are. We need to be told how great and wonderful Christ is. And that the endeavors that you, that you try to, to go after in this life of, of, of riches and a name and accolades and all this sort of thing. All that just leaves you empty. The thing that is, that is going to fulfill you in this life is only having a relationship with Christ. It is only the chief shepherd that can provide all the spiritual needs. Again, going back to Psalm 23. I want for nothing. Because in him I have everything. 
But when you allow yourself, and this is true of even believers, not to be deceived so as to be lost, but there are times in which genuine believers can lose sight of that. And they can think to themselves, I'm just feeling unfulfilled. I need this and I need this and I need this and that's going to make me happy. But your happiness is grounded in the majesty and the splendor of God who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is no greater fulfillment there. There's nothing else greater in this world than knowing the one who spoke creation into existence, the one who sustains it with his power, who has called you to be his own. There's nothing greater than that. There's nothing more magnificent than that. And that in him, I can have peace. Though I have tribulation in the world, I can have peace because I know I have peace with God. Regardless of what goes on in my life, I know that I can have joy because the spirit of the Lord is in me and he has united me to Christ. And there's a greater hope than what I have in this life. I can be fulfilled. I can have everything I need in Christ Jesus who provides all things for me. We lose sight of that a lot. Very often. And we have to remind ourselves. We have to go back and remind ourselves of what we know to be true. The chief shepherd is caring for me. He's providing everything I need. I don't need anything else. I don't need to go anywhere else. I don't need to try other things. I just need to devote myself even more so to him. He is the one. The only authorized one that was sent by the father in order to tend the flock. Ultimately, he will give his life for them. He will lay down his life that they may have life. And he does so because of his great love and care for them. He protects them. He keeps them from the evil one. He guards us from the thieves who come to steal and to kill and destroy he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And that is indeed eternal life. Only through him may you have eternal life. At least eternal life before God. And you may have life abundantly now. You may experience that now. Now this isn't, again, just life abundantly that you may have in heaven. Which is very true. Of course, when we get to heaven, we know as the scripture tells us that there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears and, and all of that. Only to know the, uh, the joy of the Lord. But these things you can experience now. You can experience in this life. Not to have your best life now. But you may experience these things of what it is to have a fulfilled life in Christ. He is my joy he is my everything. But what does it take? What does it take for you to get to that point? Well, one is our attitudes. Because often, uh, as you, as I'm sure that you've talked to folks just as I have, you have people that, that are uh, professing believers and you tell them, you know, if, if, you, if you would commit your life to Christ fully, you know, you're, you're, you're professing him, but, but you're still out here and you're doing this and you're doing that, trying to be fulfilled by the worldly pleasures and all of that. You need to give yourself over to Christ and to walk faithfully before him. And the, the answer that you usually get is, I tried that and it didn't work. We don't try out Christ. We give ourselves over fully, actually, 
recognizing that indeed everything is met in him. Worldly pleasures only leave me more empty, not fulfilled. My fulfillment is there in him. So I give myself over to, to learning of him and to growing in him. The more that you come to know the Lord through the pages of Scripture, then the more that you can see Him in all of His majesty and glory through eyes of faith. That, that your heart will be filled even more so with the knowledge of God to understand at least as much as we can, which is uh, an endeavor that we have throughout this entire life and even into heaven as we've talked about before, of continually learning uh, more and more of who He is. You can't appreciate who God is unless you know as much as you can about who He is. We'll never exhaust that knowledge and never will we exhaust that knowledge in heaven. You know, people say all the time that when I get to heaven, I will know. As Richard and I were talking about last week, you'll know more, yes, but you will not know exhaustively the Lord your God. Because there will always be a difference between the, the creator and the created, but you'll have all of eternity continually to know more and to learn. But the more that you do so in this life, the more that, that your heart yearns for more and the more that your emotions and, and, and you just desire him more as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs for thee, as the psalmist says, and it helps to take your focus off of these other things that, you know, leave you more empty and you're giving yourself over to the knowledge of God. And you can have that abundant life as you recognize the majesty of our Lord. Even more so. And what he has done for you. Some of the greatest things to know and to study is just the character of God. And, and in the nature of God. That is so magnificent to just understand that. But then when you understand the, the holiness of God. And how separate that he is from us. And he's the epitome of purity. He, he's perfection. And yet. He chose to enter into relationship with imperfect people. With sinners who are in rebellion who deserve nothing more than the justice of God, it, it brings even more appreciation and more adoration for Him. And what does that produce in you? That produces a peace within you again. Because if I know that I have peace with God, everything else in this life pales in comparison to that. I may have a lot of tribulation in this life, but I know that I have peace with Him and that I, He is for me. If God is for us, who is against us, right? As John Knox said, one man with God is in the majority. Regardless of what else you enter, have, enter into your life, what difficulties, there is a peace to be had, a peace to know that Christ Jesus has left for his people. Peace I leave with you. A joy that, that nothing else in this life can take. Is it joyful to be slandered? Is it joyful? Well, no. It's not as if you're going to enjoy all of that in that sense. But you go back to this very thing that whenever you encounter tribulation and when you encounter suffering and when you encounter heartache, the very thing that you have to keep pushing yourself back to is, is the, the, the sovereignty of God knowing and having confidence in Him that whatever it is that He has allowed in my life has been, has been given for, for His glory. And I know that He's in control and so therefore I can have that joy to know whatever it is, Lord, magnify Yourself and, and, and let Your name be made great. And that God is using you in order to make his name great. There is joy in that. A life more abundantly you can have. It has been granted to you by the chief shepherd. The one who is the door. The gate of the sheep. Who 
does not allow any others to come in but his own. And he cares for them. And he loves them. And he provides for them. He is the only means through which we may know God. There is no other through which we can know God or have the abundant life that he promises. Without the chief shepherd, you have nothing. You have only lifeless religion. And the things that you seek after in this life, you'll never have. Because you don't have him. Without him, there's nothing. But with him, you have everything. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's what he provides. Everything that we need. Again, we're not talking about things in the prosperity gospel. We're not trying to take the things of the world and attach Christ's name to it and somehow make it honorable. We're talking about the very things that Christ does promise within his word. That kind of a life you can know and you can have through him. But in order to have it, you must enter through him, the door, to be part of the sheepfold of God. There's so much more to say, but we don't want to go too far because it's in the next passage, of course, that he identifies himself as the good shepherd. And he once again contrasts himself and his care and his love, his provision, all of that, with the false shepherds of Israel. They should have led the people in righteousness, but they failed. And a passage of scripture that rings very true concerning them is in Ezekiel 34. It's a little lengthy, but just listen to what he says, because this is going to pertain exactly to them. And it pertains to every so-called teacher of the gospel who leads the people astray. And not towards the chief shepherd because they're so concerned about their own self. Ezekiel 34, beginning of verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. You should not, <clears throat> should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every hill. My flock was scattered over the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey. My flock has, has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth 
so that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and the strengthen and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in a good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastures or that you should drink of the clear waters that you must foul the rest with your feet? As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet and drink what you foul with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, even I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and with shoulder. And thrust it all the week with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock and they will no longer be a prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Ezekiel 34 describes very vividly exactly what the religious leaders of Israel were doing. There were wolves in sheep's clothing, not caring for the flock, leaving them to be scattered, scattering them themselves, feeding off their misery, not caring for the flock. That's what hirelings do to the people of God. That's what false shepherds do to the people of God. They take and they take and they take and they leave you empty. But the chief shepherd, he brings a life more abundantly to you. He feeds you with all that you need. He guides you to the waters that you may freely take. He gives you good pasture. He gives you a life more abundantly. Friends, it is necessary for us to recognize these things, of course, and to seek after them all the more. To seek after that knowledge of God and what he has done for us and the things that he's doing now in your life. Sometimes you have to take your mind off of what's going on in your life and focus it back on him. You have to preach back to yourself what you know to be true to help put your focus back. That's what the psalmist does in Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. All your needs. Everything is met in the chief shepherd. If you will just but look to him and run to him and hear his voice and follow him. We will stop there and we will pick it back up next week. Let's stand if you would. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we thank you for the care and the love that our Lord Jesus provides for us. Thank you so much that 
when he called, we were privileged by the Spirit of God to come. To be privileged to be part of the fold of God. This was not our own doing. This was all your doing. And how we thank you so much, Father, for the grace that you extended to us in him. Father, we allow so many different things in our life to hinder us from from following as we should and recognizing the great blessings that we have received even now in Christ. We pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would move within us and stir within us such a desire for you. And that we would continually look to you. Continually seeking you out. That we may know more and that our hearts would be filled with the knowledge of God to appreciate you even more. Father, if there are any here that do not know you, we pray that the Spirit of God would move mightily in their hearts to allow them to see that the only way into the fold of God is through Christ Jesus, who is the door. We must go through him in order to be part of the family of God. Oh, Father, grant them faith, allow them to come, that your will be done. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor in all things, Holy Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.